Dear Father, I'm glad I get to be with my family today. People I love, people that I know love you. I'm grateful today that we get to gather on a beautiful summer day to start our day right, to focus our minds on you, to make sure our hearts are in the right place. Lord God, it's going to be a beautiful summer. We're going to have a lot of experiences along the way that are going to be great, but help us not to take a vacation from you. Help us not to miss these moments to gather together, to be in your presence, to be with other people who love you, and to keep growing. Growth never takes a vacation. And we look forward to the way that you're going to grow us this summer together. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for life, Lord. We thank you for bringing us here. And Jesus, we just pray that you would speak to us through your word, Lord, and through the things that you've placed on Dennis's heart, Lord. Speak to us and change us and make us more like who you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. July 10th, 2011. Long before God put the first piece of dirt on this earth, He knew today was going to happen. He knew you would be here. He knew every detail of your life that was going to happen. He knew what you were going to bring in the room. Some of you today are bringing in huge reasons to smile. I don't know if this is allowed to be public, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like the fact that the Hansons are going to be grandparents really soon. Isn't that cool? Or the fact that Anne Short and Ciprian Magdash are going to get married this afternoon. He knew this before the world even began. He also knew the pain you're bringing into the room today. The hurt, the heartache. The face you're putting on right now because you're in public and you've got to, but you wish you didn't have to. You wished you could just be who you are right now and maybe it's just that you want a ball or maybe you want to pick up the chair and throw it and scream. There's some emotion you're feeling right now. God knew it. And he knows it. And he loves you. And he's here with you right now. And we're glad you're here with us to share this moment that was in God's mind since the beginning of time before it. You're at Southfield Church. Maybe you didn't know that. You would know it if you pulled out this card because it says Southfield Church on it. And we like you every week to go ahead and put your name on that. Let us know you were here. You get a chance to fill out all the information if you want, or just your name, update an email address, or like we said a couple weeks, make up a phony occupation. Some of you are really into that, and it's been kind of fun to read the theoretical occupations you put down. It's it's a good time. Uh, If it's your first time, we'd like you to put as much information on the card as you're comfortable putting on the card. And as a gift to you today to say thanks for coming and being a part of this day, on your way out, you'll notice a table. There's a banner right behind it that says, For Our Guests, and we have a gift for you. It's a a book by Andy Stanley called How Good is Good Enough. We hope that part of the reason you're here today is because you're on a spiritual journey and you're trying to figure out how life works and what life is all about. This book will help you to understand how to have a relationship with God. It'll help you to understand those first steps that you need to take 
in order to be able to claim God as a friend. And so we hope that you'll take that with you today and uh, check off anything on the back of the card that you need. We want to be able to help you uh, in any way we can. Well, in about 30 minutes, we're officially going to be halfway through our, our summer series we're calling Dive 2011. Every summer, we are going to be taking on a, a book of the Bible or a topic of theology, and for 10 weeks, we're just going to rip it apart. We're going to go as, as deeply into it as possibly as we possibly can. And this summer, we're, we're diving into pure joy. Our faces need an excuse to smile. This hasn't been an easy time, personally for some people, nationally, economically. It's been a tough time. There are lots of reasons to just walk around and frown. Our faces need an excuse to smile. We need to let our faith inform our face that we do have a reason for pure joy that goes beyond the circumstances of our lives. Pure joy is a sincere, satisfied disposition of the soul. It's deeper than a facial expression. It's, it's really it's a soul smile. It happens really deeply for us. Paul demonstrates both through his writings and through his actions that pure joy finds a way to smile despite the most severe circumstances. No matter what you walked in with today, you may not feel like smiling, and that's okay, but if you're a devoted Christ follower, you can still have joy through the most severe trial and pain. So we landed in Philippians for this summer, and today we come to the heart of the book as we explore the pure joy of humility. Now, if you're really humble, you can just leave right now. You don't need this. Ah, no takers. I kind of figured. All right. I love this verse, Isaiah 29, 19. It really is the theme for our day. The humble will be filled with fresh joy from the Lord. There's this direct benefit that if we're humble, God will fill us with freshness of joy. So here we are in Philippians, and we come to this word humble. As we look at chapter 2 of the book, we look at this word humble. And when I hear the word humble, uh, two books come to my mind. The first is that classic children's story, Charlotte's Web. I I won't read the whole thing to you this morning. I'll just give you the cliff notes. Wilbur is a pig. He's the runt of the litter. And Charlotte, this spider, doesn't want to see him end up on a breakfast table. So she starts weaving messages in his web above his head. She writes things like, some pig, and things like, terrific, and radiant. And her plot works. Eventually, he's spared the butcher's block, and he becomes what's known as Zuckerman's famous pig. I won't sing the song. And like every, yeah, those of you with kids, you get it. Like all famous pigs, he gets the chance to go to the fair. And while he's at the fair, Charlotte decides that she needs to weave her last and her most important message ever. So Templeton the rat goes wandering out. He finds a scrap of paper, brings it back, and it's got a six-letter word on it. Humble. Humble. And she weaves the word humble above his head she expresses great reasoning for using the word humble she says humble it has two meanings it means not proud and it means low to the ground that's wilbur all over she says for he is not proud and he's near the ground there's another book that comes to my mind it's a little bit more contemporary 
than Charlotte's Web. I got it a few years ago. I love the title. It, it says humility, humility. And the subtitle is true greatness, humility, true greatness. To be honest, most people do not think of those two words as being compatible. How in the world can humility and greatness go hand in hand? I mean, in our times, we're told that if we want to be great, well, we, we've got to go after it. You, you, don't, you don't stand back. You, you don't wait for someone else to do something for you. You've got to take action. I love the opening words of the book. He says, humility is a funny thing. On one hand, it's an extremely desirable trait. Most of us as Christians would say we want to be humble, right? Or at least we want to be thought of as being humble. At the same time, few of us have given attention to what hum- humble actually means And even fewer have considered what it takes to grow in humility. I take it a step further. That for a lot of us, when we do start to understand what humble really means, we'd rather take a pass. We really don't want to pursue humility. In our minds, humility and greatness do not belong on the same page. Our culture says, strive to be great, be all you can be, don't settle for second best, do the very best, you've got to look out for you, no one else is going to do it. But Jesus, Paul, and others in the Bible tell us that the path to greatness, real greatness, is humility. Now for those familiar with the Bible, if you were thinking about humility, one of the classic passages you would go to is found in Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 11. And I'd like you to look at these verses. Here's what Paul writes. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, by loving each other, and by working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him a name that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father What is humility? What does it mean to be humble? Think about it for a moment. Get it in your mind. I won't ask you to say it out loud, but but get your picture of humble in your mind. Maybe it's a particular person. Maybe you have a definition. What does humble look like to you? And offer you a few suggestions, some images and some words. I love this guy. It says, humility, knowing when to bury your face in the sand. The next guy is not humble, Mark Cuban. It says, when I die, I want to come back as me. This is not 
an example of humility at all. How about this in word? Humility is freedom from pride and arrogance. I'm not proud. I'm not arrogant. Uh, the, The book Humility by Mahaney describes humility this way. Humility is honestly assessing others in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Pride and humility always come down to an issue of comparison. Who am I comparing myself to? When I'm proud, I'm usually comparing myself to another individual. As a church, I'm comparing ourselves to another church, and we're saying, we're doing better than them. I'm doing better than him. But can you ever compare yourself to God and say, I'm right there? No way. No way. Not at all. Humility is comparing myself to God in light of his holiness and in light of our sinfulness. That's a good working definition of humility. And now I just I want to break it down. I want to get under the skin of humility. If God wants us to be humble, if he thinks that's desirable, I guess the question I have is, why do we have such a hard time pursuing it? There aren't many people that on a resume would put, number one, I'm very humble. You know, we, we just don't even think that way as humility of being something that's really an honorable trait. Why is that? Well, for one thing, I think humility is just, it's confusing. It confuses a lot of people. It confuses people because it's misunderstood. Many people see humility as the equivalent of being quiet or shy. If you're really loud and boisterous, it's hard to imagine yourself as a humble person. Uh, Further, some see humble as being a coward. Uh, This is a person who's unwilling to be self-assertive, to speak up. They just live in fear. They cower. That's a humble person. And others people see humble people as compromisers. They never stand up for what they believe. They're always just going along with everybody else and letting everybody else have their way. It's misunderstood. Further, it's misrepresented. When people think of humility, the image that often comes to their mind is a doormat. If I'm a humble person, I need to be a doormat, and other people get the opportunity to wipe their feet all over me. Or we see humble people as mystical or hyper-religious. You know, you think humble, you think Gandhi, you think Mother Teresa. And while they're wonderful, I look at them and I say, ain't no way I'm wearing what he's wearing. And are you kidding me? I'm going to be Mother Teresa? I mean, these people in our minds are just untouchable. They're not. Hey, if Mother Teresa were working at Walmart, would she have been as nice as she was? You know, that's what we do. We put these people in real life and we say, of course they could be spiritual. They, they, were, they were closed off in places where it was easy to be spiritual. That's what you think of pastors and missionaries, right? Easy for pastors and missionaries to be humble. They live in the fake world of church. I don't have people that say, wait, you only work one hour a week. I correct them. No, it's a half hour a week. The sermon, that's it. <clears throat> Humility is confusing to a lot of people. It's also complex. Or should I put it this way? We make it complex. We make it a lot more complicated than it has to be. Paul uses Jesus as the ultimate example of humility. We see this. It starts in verse 5 of the passage. It says, you must have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Paul says, if you want to be humble, be like Jesus, act like Jesus, think like Jesus, take on the attitude or the mindset of Jesus. Be like Jesus. How was Jesus humble? Well, this passage gives us three 
clear ways. As you look at verses 6 to 8, three clear ways that Jesus expressed humility. The first is this. Though he is God, he set aside his divine rights and privileges. Now understand, this doesn't mean that while he was on earth, he stopped being God. While he was on earth, he was fully God, fully man at the same time. Some of the best heresies in church history have been invented around this passage right here. Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. But while on earth, he set aside the rights and the privileges of being God. He was humble. You see, humility is withholding my rights. And what do we think? That is just plain un-American. We've fought for our rights. Why in the world would I want to put aside my rights? You know, it may be un-American, but it's totally biblical. Jesus put aside his rights as God. In a sense, you could say that humility is not the lack of power, but power in or under complete control. I mean, think about it. While he was nailed, being nailed to the cross, Jesus could have put on an amazing lightning storm and wiped them all out. And he withheld his power as God in order to do what you and I needed, died on the cross. How else was Jesus humble? Well, though he was the creator, he became the creation. This is one of those mind-blowing thoughts to me. This is like staring at a starry Wisconsin sky or or counting the grains of sand on the beach in St. Pete. You just can't do it. It blows your mind away. It blows my mind away that the God of the universe became one of me. And he didn't just become one of me. Some of you have babies under two years old. I don't know if you happen to notice They're fairly helpless. In fact, when they're born, they're really helpless. The God of the universe chose to come and lay in a crib with a first-time mom. And if he wanted anything, he had to do what every other baby did. If he wanted to eat, he needed to cry. He couldn't mental telepathy. Mary, Mary, feed me now. He, he, he didn't levitate the food over into his crib. He put aside his divine rights, his power, to become one of us. I mean, imagine today, you want to go reach out to an ant pile, and so you say, that's it, I'm becoming an ant. You risk being squished by the first person walking out of church. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to become an ant. Jesus became one of us. And that's part of humility. Humility is the willingness to get down on their level. To get down on the same level as the person you're trying to help. So he withholds his rights. He gets down on the same level. How else is he humble? Though he was blameless, he was willing to die a criminal's death. I don't know about you, but I don't like being falsely accused. When the accusation is deserved, go nuts. But when I'm being falsely accused, it makes me crazy. Jesus is dying on the cross because he is considered a criminal. He died a criminal's death. And why did he do it? It says, in obedience to the Father. God said, I want you to be treated like a criminal in order that the human race could have eternal life. And here's the question I have for you. You know, so many of us, we're very concerned about our reputations. Are you willing to put aside what other people think of you in order to do what God wants you to do? That's humility. Humility is when I say, it doesn't matter what people think of me. What matters is what God thinks of me. When's the last time you asked yourself, God, what do you think of me? We're so worried what everybody else around us thinks. What does God think of me? That's real humility. That's what it looks like. 
I mean, it's pretty straightforward. So I say it's complex. Why do I say it's complex? Well, because the Jesus of the four Gospels sometimes doesn't seem to fit the beauty of this passage. Uh, For example, he expressed strong emotion. We We don't think of humble people as expressing strong emotion. I mean, if somebody in the room started flipping tables, we'd all be going, whoa, what's what's up with that? What's his problem? What's your anger problem? Get some anger management. What's your deal? You wouldn't think now that's a very humble person. Jesus is clearly humble, and yet he was able to express strong emotion. He was able to do that. Um, His statements and requests sometimes seem rather self-promoting. Let me ask you, does this sound very humble? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Wow. That's rather brash. That's, wow. You, you, You got, wow. Okay? How about this? He directly and strongly confronts his friends and enemies. He calls his enemies, you brood of vipers. That's really humble, isn't it? He tells Peter when Peter steps up when he shouldn't, get behind me, Satan. That doesn't sound very humble. We just think of humble as kind of like a a pitiful, wilting flower. And Jesus in real life doesn't put on a pitiful, wilting flower image. These are not images that we naturally equate with humble. Seeing the humility of Jesus in action complicates our definition of humility. Uh, Another reason that it seems complex is because we like to talk about the idea of humility, the theory of humility, but we don't always know the exact pathway to humility. So let's work through that complexity a bit. How do you live it out? How do you live out humility? What does it look like? What would it look like if our church was was humble? We looked at the first part, the second part of the passage first, verses 5 to 8. We're now going to go back to the first part, verses 1 to 4. This is really practical. It's so clear, a clear pathway to humility. And Jesus, or Paul just uses this, this list of don'ts. He says, if you're going to be humble, these are the things you shouldn't do. Now, he starts this passage with a series of questions. And these questions are are structured in such a way that the assumed answer is yes. He's not wanting to think about it. They would, of course, say yes to every one of these. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the question, and I want you all to say yes out loud. Just I mean, this this is what would have been going on in the Philippians' mind. I'll give you a practice question, all right? Dennis is the most humble person I know. You all lied in church. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, here we go. Is there any comfort from Christ's love? Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any fellowship together in the Spirit? Think about this one. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? He says, well, then make my joy complete. I mean, he says, I'm so glad we agree on these things. He says, you've got to make my joy complete. Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. I mean, if if you're humble, you're going to be agreeing with each other. If you're humble, you can make my joy complete by loving each other. If you're humble... You can make my joy complete by by working together in one mind and one purpose. He says, this is how you do it. 
I mean, think about it. He says, I want you to agree wholeheartedly with each other. I want you to love each other. And I want you to work together in unity. This is an amazing definition of a church firing on all cylinders. It's a church at its best. If you walk into this church and they're doing this, don't leave. This is a great church. They're nice statements. They're beautiful statements. But, but you know what I have to say? Honestly, this is easier said than done. I mean, look at this. Uh, wholeheartedly agree with each other. I know churches that have split apart over choosing the color of a carpet, over which brand of communion juice they were going to serve. Because after all, it says in the Bible, you're supposed to use Welch's. You don't do that some generic. Are you kidding me? Loving each other? I mean, truth is, some people are really easy to love. And some people are what I've heard referred to as EGRs, extra grace required. You know, you you just got to have a little bit more love. How about working together in unity? Too often churches look like preschoolers fighting over a toy. Then they do like a team that's about to take the field of battle. This is a beautiful definition of a church. And it's not easy to attain. It takes hard work. So Paul says this is how the dream is to be realized. And he gives us a series of five things we need to work on. And I'll tell you what, when we look at this, here's what he's saying. Work on this today and every day for the rest of your life. Because as soon as you think you got it mastered, you're not going to have it mastered and you're going to have to start all over again. The first one, are you ready? Don't be selfish. I mean, I would love to say in the Greek there's something really complex going on there. There's not. This is the same thing you say to your two-year-old trying to rip the toy out of the hand of someone else. Don't be selfish. Why do we struggle to agree? Well, because I want everything my way. Why, Why do we not love others? We spend all of our time loving ourselves and trying to get others to love us, not loving them. Why can't we work together in unity? Because we're all promoting our own agendas instead of the agenda of Christ. It says don't be selfish. How about the next one? Don't try to impress others. Self-promotion is the name of the game, isn't it? I mean, how many books are out on the market right now? In this job market, you had better be a great self-promoter. If you're going to take the path of humility, you're going to be eating a lot of tuna that's been donated to you from Aldi. You know, that kind of thing. You, you've got to self-promote. Are you kidding me? If I don't tell others my skills, who will? Are you actually able to do a project and let someone else take the entirety of the credit without hinting that you had a hand in it? Don't try to impress others. The next one is not put in the form of a don't. He says, be humble. Think of the spider web above your head. Humble. Be humble. Then he tells us how. By thinking of others as better than yourself. I kind of wish he hadn't defined it. By thinking of others as better than yourselves. Agreeing, loving, and working together. You know why they so often break down? We suffer from a superiority complex. We don't think of others as better than ourselves. We think, I know more. I care more. I work harder. Why in the world should I think of someone as better than myself? The issue here is comparison. And again, we're comparing ourselves to others rather than comparing ourselves to who we should be comparing ourselves to, which is Christ. 
Pride and humility are based on comparison. If I'm proud, I compare myself to others and I think of myself as better. If I'm humble, I compare myself to Christ and I know I'm nowhere close. I'm nowhere close. So I'm humble thinking of myself, thinking of others, sorry, thinking of others as better than myself. What else? He gives us another don't. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. I mean, I don't know about you. Every one of these has been a hard swallow. These are not easy things to live out. Don't look out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others too. That sounds so wonderful until you want the remote. Or you like the first cup of coffee and somebody keeps taking it. Uh, you know, that's, that's when this thing kind of breaks down, doesn't it? Because, yeah, I'll look out for your own interests. As soon as I look out for mine, I'm not going to wait. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others, too. We had to look out for the other person. Care more about the other person's needs than your own. Are you married? If you're married, you need to write this verse down. And hand it to your spouse. (laughs) No, you need to write this verse down. (laughs) You need to devour this verse. You need to live this verse. Look out for the other person more than yourself. And he ends by saying, take on the attitude of Jesus. You must have the same attitude Jesus had. He is the ultimate example of humility. Look at this screen. Look at these things. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress people. Think of others as better than yourselves. Look out only for your, not only for your interests, but look out for the interest of others. Have the same attitude as Jesus. I'm not suggesting something heretical here, but if you were to just take those four verses and throw away the rest of your Bible and just work on those the rest of your days you'd have your work cut out for you. Wouldn't you? Think of what your home would be like if we all decided to live this. Think of, think of what Washington would be like if we all decided to live this. Think of what our world would be like if we all decided to live just this. I mean, the path to humility is not complex. We tell our three-year-olds do these things all the time, but somehow when we're 33, it does not apply. It's crazy. One other thing we find is that humility is clearly desirable. It's a desirable trait. The polar opposite of humility is pride. You know what the Bible says about pride? God hates pride. You don't think of God as a hater, do you? God hates pride. Pride. Romans or Proverbs 6 1. <clears throat> there are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. First one on the list haughty eyes, a proud look. The look that says, I'm better than you are. And in case you didn't get the message clearly enough, Proverbs 8 13, therefore I hate pride and arrogance. I hate it, God says. He says, I hate pride. Further, he says that he opposes pride. James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5 both quote Proverbs 3, 34 that says, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. 
He gives grace to the humble. He hates pride. He opposes it. And the Bible says he humiliates the proud. He humiliates them. <clears throat> Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. If you're proud, if you're arrogant, if you're unwilling to be humble, get ready to be humbled. You know what the last part of that Philippians passage says? There will come a point that everyone will bow to Jesus. Everyone will bow. Everybody will be humbled if, they've not been, if they have not chosen yet to be humble. Everyone will one day bow to Jesus. What does the Bible say about humility? It says God loves humility. Psalm 138.6 says, Though the Lord is great, He cares for the humble. And it says, And He keeps a distance from the proud. Proverbs 3.34 says, The Lord mocks the mocker, but is gracious to the humble. Further, God sides with the humble. Psalm 147.6 says, The Lord supports the humble, but He brings the wicked into the dust. There's one other thing that the Bible says about the humble, that God exalts them. God ultimately exalts the humble. You're not a self-promoter. God ultimately exalts you. Look at these three verses. Luke 14, 11, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. James 4.10, Humble yourselves, therefore, and he will lift you up. 1 Peter 5.6, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up to honor, which is exactly what God has done for Jesus. He gave him a name that is above every name. He brought him to his right hand. Now look at those verses. Really stare at them. Because I'm telling you what, your American mind doesn't believe these verses. You don't believe it. You believe that if you're going to be getting ahead, if you're going to be exalted, you've got to do it on your own. And my question is simply this. Do you trust God? Do you take him at his word or not? Do you believe what God says or not? Because this is the direct word of God. Do you trust him? Do you, are you humble enough to believe that his path is the best path. I read a great quote this week. I modified it a little bit. I us just stare at it for a few seconds. Nothing makes a church stronger than humility. Nothing breaks a church faster than pride. You could insert almost anything in there. Nothing makes a marriage stronger than humility. Nothing makes a family, a neighborhood, a school. where Nothing strengthens more than a group of humble people, and nothing destroys and breaks faster than when everybody decides to be a self-promoter and look out for themselves. Paul says, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, by loving each other, by working together with one mind and purpose. This level of pure joy will only be realized when we are humble like Jesus. So what I want to do, <coughs> take out your Southfield card, backside, I want to offer three humility drills this week. And I didn't ask you this ahead of Jason, but I, I know you'll, you'll be good with this. Getting the team ready for, for the fall season. Jason's a football coach. Putting them through drills. I should probably be asking John this. Are there some drills that your team thinks are just really dumb? Yeah. yeah. Name one of them. 
And what's that? Okay, they have to do this conditioning circuit. And they're saying there is no way that this circuit has anything to do with what we're doing on the field. So why in the world should I do it? You never said that, John. John's humble. Um, We're going to do some humility drills this week. And some of you are going to go, that is really dumb. Well, that's because you're not humble. But no. um, These are some things that I want you to work through this week and do them and try them. And you're going to say, I can't believe you're making me do this. This seems so 101. Yep, because that's where we got to start. When it comes to humility, we've got to start kind of 101. So, so here's the first one. Are you ready for your drill? Wait, let someone else go first. This could be anywhere. I, you know, one of the things I try to teach my kids is it's really not smart to knock down elderly people as you're trying to get through the door. And elderly means anybody older than you, Sonny. Are you willing to actually hold? It's kind of fun to hold doors. It's fun to watch how people react to holding doors. Have you ever let someone, you're in that long construction line and you let someone in ahead of you, but then you let the second person in ahead of you. It feels good to you and everybody behind you is going, who is this idiot? And you say, the last shall be first and you shall be last. Anyway, let someone else go first. Do it several times this week. Make that conscious effort to say, I will stop right now and let the other person go first. Maybe the food at the table. Maybe driving, maybe something else, but do it. Several times this week, just stop long enough to go, this is what humility looks like. This is what it means to not promote myself. I'm going to let someone else go first. Second one, give someone else a speak up and give someone else credit. And I mean full credit. When you deserved it, when you did it. Now, don't lie. Don't say, yeah, Janie did it and she didn't do anything. But find the piece that they did and give them the full credit. And don't promote yourself one ounce. For some of you, that's easy because you've been already doing that. And for some of you, that is unimaginable because you have posters of yourself in your closet. And you make sure, people, you have the pamphlets. You hand them out. Promote someone else. Instead of yourself to someone else, not just to them, but to someone else say, wow, she did a great job. It may be actually calling, calling a store and saying clerk number three, blonde, that lady did a great job today. Promote someone else. Here's the third one. This is going to be the toughest of all for someone. Listen, hear someone else speak attentive while you're listening attentively. You know what I find in most conversations? Most conversations are not conversations. They're monologues. And they're borrowing your ears. And, I mean, if you tried to slip in a word, woo, it just doesn't happen because they're, they're at, you know, speeds of 80 with gusts to 120. I mean, just, boom, they're, they're blowing along. People don't get the chance to be heard a lot. Listen attentively to someone else. Really listen to what they're saying. Now, this is what this looks like. Too many of us love the sound of our own voices. So close the yapper. All right? Ask a question and then just let them start to talk. Stop and listen. Really listen. Ask questions and then listen. 
Don't offer one ounce of advice. This is where the pride thing seeps in. And it's not always, you know, ugly pride, but I'm 48. I'm older than a lot of you. I've been down this path. I could give you some good advice. And if you'd finally start listening to it, your life would be straightened out. That sounds really sincere. Well, that's proud. That's proud. Am I willing to just listen and give the person what they need, which is a listening ear, rather than a pocket full of advice that they're going, yeah, she couldn't just stop and hear me. He couldn't just listen. Do the drills. Now, on the card, you're going to check off none of them because you're already humble. One of them because that's all you can handle. Three of them because you've got to work overtime. You're like 60 and there's not a lot of time left and you've got a lot of humble to work on. Like, I can't believe you just dissed the 60-year-olds. Unbelievable. Yeah, whatever. So, check it off. You're going to be putting it in the offering in just a few minutes. Let's talk to God together. Father, I don't know that I want to beg you to make us humble. Give us a chance to try it ourselves. Give us an opportunity to work on this. Help us to believe your words, that humility is the path to pure joy. You know, the funny thing is some of us know pride hasn't gotten us there. In our arrogance and thinking of ourselves better than everyone else, we are not very happy. In our arrogance of trying to grab for our own stuff, we are not experiencing joy today, God. Have our hearts long, long for humility. In Jesus' name, amen. And now we get to hold in our hands as our servers come. The true example of humility. A God who came, who became a baby, who was a gaggly 13-year-old who experienced 20 and 25 and 33 and death on a cross, who allowed the creation to nail him there. And he did it because his father said, I want you to. And he said, whatever you want, I'll do. Bread and cup are coming to you right now, two cups stacked together. Take some time to reflect. Maybe take some time to apologize to God. God, I'm sorry, I've been very proud I want to be a humble person like Jesus. And then when you're ready, take communion. We don't take it together. When you're ready, enjoy your time of communion with God.
Nothing more humbling, Father, than to be in your presence and know that the reason you died on the cross was for us. That you didn't do anything wrong, Lord. You took the blame and you took the punishment, Lord God, and you took it all for us. And Jesus, we should have been there, and instead you were there. God, and, and there are times that we mess up, Lord, and... We know, Father, that we are covered in your blood because your blood was strong enough to cleanse our sin. And, Lord, we're here today, Father. We're bowing our heads. Lord, we're bowing our hearts, God, and we're standing before you. And we're just so thankful, Lord, that you humbled yourself enough, that you humbled yourself so much to pay for our sins, Lord, and to face that and to face death, Lord, so we didn't have to, God, that you paid for our sin and you broke the chains, Lord, and now we can live a life free for you, God. And we thank you for that, Lord, and that is reason to sing, Lord, and that is reason to praise you, Father. And that's reason to live for you in pure joy, Lord God. And to pass that love and that joy unto others. Lord, we love you and we thank you for breaking the chains and for making us free and for giving us life, Lord. We worship you today. Lord, and we continue to sing and we continue to praise you this morning. We ask you to break us. We want to experience brokenness. But we know that is the path to joy. We don't ask that glibly. We know that it's not an easy path. I also know that great people do hard things. And it seems like there aren't enough great people these days. Not enough people who are willing to say, I'll take the tough path because it's the right path. Help us to be those people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you know, I, I was sitting and singing, and, and I was reminded of a situation years ago now, a person I knew, who um, got together and talked with him. He was going through uh, the most difficult point of his life. He was living at a mission. He was struggling with alcohol addiction and other addictions. I'll be honest, he did not smell good. His breath and body odor had me wanting to open windows, doors, and everything else. Didn't look good. He was physically, visibly filthy. Everything about him was a mess. And I sat down with this guy and I go, this poor guy, what can I do to help him? And as he started to talk, you know what was amazing to me? He believed he was better than everyone he knew. The more he talked, I'm just going, I can't believe what I'm hearing. He honestly believed he was better than everyone he knew. And in that moment, I went, wow. See, if you're not willing to walk down the path to humility, God will take you down the path of humiliation if you really want to be like Jesus. So I'm encouraging you today, take the path. 
don't be forced down it. Take the path. That's the path God wants you to take. Now, a bunch of checked off stuff, and one of them was, I'll let other people go first. The problem with doing that is if we all checked it off, none of us are going to leave. <laughs> so leaving this room, you have a pass. And then beyond that, make sure you're polite. Put the other person first. Listen in the conversation. Put these drills to practice. Let's work on being the church God wants us to be, the people God wants us to be, the families and the marriages God wants us to be. You have a great day. We'll see you.